0: Thanks for joining us at First Baptist of Woodlawn. Our mission at Woodlawn is to grow, serve, and reach others together. Our vision at Woodlawn is to impact our regional communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ through small groups, corporate worship and missions, and evangelism. Now, today's sermon. Turn with me in your Bibles this, uh, this evening to the book of Psalms, the 49th Psalm, the 49th Psalm, if you will. The 49th Psalm. You know, this morning we we talked about and, and delved into the idea that God is absolutely determined to change your worldview. To change how you view himself and how you view your relationship with him. You know, Romans chapter 12 verse 1 is a famous verse. And does anybody know why verses 1 and 2? Talks about the renewing of your mind, where, where Paul just flat out says that you ought to renew your mind. Why is that? Well, it's because our old ways and our old habits and our old ways of thinking aren't right. I mean, they're just not. Um, and quite honestly, um, whenever you are saved, there is a transition that happens in your life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God has made you a completely new creature in Him, that you are different, that you, you will have different desires and different motivations. Uh, my, my old pastor, Mike Morrow, who's going to be with the Lord now, says that when God saves you, He not only, he not only saves you from the fires of hell, but He also saves you, changes your want to. I used to want to do this, but now I want to do this. He changes your want to. I always wondered what a want to was. I, he was from North Carolina. I thought maybe that was a North Carolina thing. But uh, my, my, my point is, is, that, is that even though God does change that, and there is a transformation, we, we learned in Romans chapter 7 this morning that, that, that there is still part of us that is unredeemed, and it's our flesh and it's old habits and old ways of thinking. And, and, and let, me, let me give you an, an illustration. I, I have used this before, um, but I, I said it this afternoon to somebody. It was to your friend about the tires. Uh, listen, I grew up in a weird family. I, I'm talking about, we, we, they had some strange ideologies. And they were right. And everybody else was wrong. Anybody else got a family like that? What are you you looking at, Tim? (laughs) He looked at Marta. Growing up, I was taught that you never replace just one tire on a vehicle. I was taught that you replace all four at the same time. Yeah, well, that, that sounds real good and all, except when you're a poor college student, you don't have any money. And tires are $800 a set. So I go into the tire store. I mean, listen, my granddad started that trend, and he taught it to all his kids. I mean, you just didn't go to the tire store unless you bought four tires. I walked in and, and had a bad tire, and, and what had happened is, is uh, it, it had got out around a little bit, and it was just thump, 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 down the road. And I walked in and said, listen, I, I don't know what we can do here. What's the cheapest tires you got? And I'm talking about replacing all four tires. The guy looks at me and said, well, they're not all four bad, just that one's bad. I said, well, I know, but I need four, don't I? He said, well, I'll "I'll sell you a tire, and I'll never forget my response. You mean you can just buy one tire? (laughs) You can just buy one? I had no idea. Why? Well, because in my worldview and how I was brought up, the situation that I was in, I was taught one thing, and that's how I thought about it. You buy four, you buy four, you buy four. Well, here I'm introduced to a different worldview that says what? Well, you can buy one at a time. Well, I'll tell you, the first thing that went through my mind was hallelujah. That's going to be a lot easier on my pocketbook. See, worldview and how you view something determines the outcome of a situation when you face it. It really does. I've been reading through the book of Proverbs, and I'm I'm going to get to Psalm here. I promise you I will. I've been reading through the book of Proverbs, and one of the things that I've determined that Solomon had was he had a melancholy attitude towards life. Vanity of vanity. Everything's vanity. And one of the things that he continually says over and over in the Proverbs, and it's one of the the features that I find in this particular psalm, is that no matter whether you're rich or poor, no matter whether you're good-looking, You noticed I looked at junior didn't you, darling? No matter whether you're good-looking or you're not so (laughs) good-looking, no matter what your social status is, whether you're a social elite or you're an outcast, No matter what you've accomplished in this life, whether you're an aerospace engineer who designed a rocket that can go to a moon or you ran a shovel underneath the belt of a coal belt in the coal mines all your life and that's all that you've done for accomplishment, one of these days, you're both going to die. Boy, boy, isn't that just happy news? I know why Solomon was so melancholy all the time. You're going to die. You're going to die. And he'd say this, life is fleeting, life is vanity. And I know that sounds really dark and it sounds really depressing. But can I tell you that there's also something that's very freeing in that? Because so many people put stock in what they've accomplished or what they're trying to accomplish. And it so constrains them and puts pressure on them that they never feel like they've done enough. Because of that, it enslaves them, and they're never free to do what God would have them. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into this psalm. And While I'm doing that, Jenny, would you get me some water? I'm going to start coughing here in just a second. Father, we thank you for your mercies. God, I thank you for this psalm we're going to dive into. God, God, I pray... Lord, that you'd help us see that there is freedom to be lived in you. Lord, when we recognize that we have to look at this world through eternal eyes and not temporal eyes. Lord, when we recognize who we are in light of yourself and in light of eternity. Lord, it frees us to be who you want us to be on this earth. Lord, help us recognize that now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This particular psalm, listen to, what, listen to what it says. First thing is it's a it's a psalm to the sons of Korah, and there's a call. He, he's wanting everybody to hear. Listen to the universe app, the, the, the universalness of this psalm. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart shall be understanding and I will incline my ear to a proverb and I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Now now think about that. If you're getting ready to give a proverb, if you're getting ready to teach something, one of the things that you have to do is you have to consider your audience. Is that not true? Let me give you an example. If If the Illinois Baptist State Association calls me and they say, Brother Carlton, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a conference, and we want you to come preach at it. And it is going to be in the inner city of Chicago. Um, and, and we want you to come and, and give a, a sermon that's evangelistic to these inner city Chicago people. Okay, I'm going to go, but I need to consider my audience. I probably don't need to be giving very many agricultural illustrations, Right? I probably better figure out who Flame and Lecrae are, right? Because in the middle of, of, of there, I have to consider my audience so that my message can come across. I can get it across correctly. Now, on the other hand, if the IBSA calls and says, Hey, Carlton, here's what we want you to do. We want you to teach a, a conference, and it is going to be an evangelistic conference. But where we're going to have it is, we're going to have it in Sparta, Illinois. No, let's go, let's go over, let's go to Chester. No, let's go to Redbud. And we're going to have a big evangelistic conference. Now, what's in Redbud and Sparta and Chester? Does anybody know? Farms? I better not go in talking about Lecrae and life on the street. They're not going to get that, okay? They're not going to understand my illustrations. They're not going to understand what I'm trying to say. So, look at what the psalmist does here. Listen to what he does. Look at the audience that he is getting ready to send this message to. Hear this, who? All peoples. Give ear, who? All inhabitants of the world. And then he goes on and he names those those who are low and high, those who are rich and poor together. My mouth is getting ready to speak some wisdom and the meditation of my heart will be understanding to you. So any so here's what Paul or, or Paul good grief. Here's what here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that whatever I'm getting ready to tell you no matter where you are in your life that this is a universal truth that everybody can know and everybody can understand. Okay? So then he goes on And he gives some really good news in in, in verses 5 through 12. And it's this. Whether you're high or low, whether you're rich or poor, guess what? Here's a universal truth that everybody can understand. Whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Antarctica, whether you're in Argentina, whether you're in the Arabic desert, whether you're in the Gobi Desert. You all know where that's at? No matter where you are, universal truth, here's what I'm getting ready to tell you, you're going to be able to understand it because it's something that everybody, no matter where they are, have in common, and it's this, you're going to die. Wow. Sobering truth. Sobering truth. This This is something that everybody can understand. This is something that everybody has to face at some point in their life, both personally, both with family and friends. We have to face death. Let me read these verses to you, verses 5 through 12. Why why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of an abundance of their riches? Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, and that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, and the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish universal truth to his audience you're all going to die man preacher we came out and visited the church and that's kind of a hard sermon for people that are visiting well guys here's the truth he wants you to see that life is temporal and you're all going to die whether you're rich or whether you're poor guys here's the here's the reality there's a very good chance i could be buried next to a millionaire did y'all know that No, and I'm being serious. My grandparents bought 10 lots next to a millionaire. They did, didn't they, Jenny? Okay, she's laughing. You know, you're supposed to laugh. That's true. I could literally be buried next to a millionaire. There's a good chance of that. Guess what? Graves are both six feet deep. In 50 years, nobody will know who either one of us are. Say, preacher, that's a downer. Hang with me. Hang with me. Hang with me. Let me ask you a question. What is it that holds you back from living the spiritual life that God intended you to live? What is it that holds you back from not being all that God wants you to be and desires for you to be. Well, let's just look at the different realms of spiritual life. Let's, let's look at the realm of holiness. What, what, what keeps you from being as holy as you want to be? You know, sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's family. Somebody says, let's go to a party. Somebody says, let's, let's go do this. Somebody influences you and there's peer pressure that you have. They're influencing you to do things that would not be according to the will of God if you really got right down to it. Why do you do that? Why do you succumb to those kinds of pressures? Well, you do it because you want to be liked and you, you revere those people that are, that are pressuring you and you want to be liked by them. So, so here's what really is, is happening is you have a situation where you're choosing to be liked by them rather than to obey God. And because of that, guess what? You aren't fulfilling the way that God would have you to live, ultimately. What about other issues? Not just the issue of holiness in our Christian life. What about the issue of of service? God's called you to go on a mission trip or God's called you to serve in some capacity in the church. And he's calling you to that, but you won't do it. Why? Because you're afraid. I'm afraid I don't know enough. I'm afraid I haven't... or I haven't been trained enough, or I'm afraid that there is something that I'll do that'll mess somebody up. Do, do you know? I actually had to counsel a guy one time who said he was afraid to witness to somebody because he was afraid he would mess it up and that that person might not get saved. And here's what I had to tell him I said, Brother, he said, I'm afraid they'll push God away if I do it wrong. I said, They're as far away from God as they can possibly be right now, they're lost. They need somebody to tell them the light, even if, it's, even if it's diffused by your inabilities. God can still use that little ray. So maybe fear has crippled you because you don't want to be seen as dumb, or seen as inadequate, or seen as incapable of serving in the capacity that God's called you to serve in. So because of that, you you draw back. What what, what other areas of Christian life? Maybe it's it's the area of evangelism. You're scared to to death to tell somebody about Jesus because you're afraid you'll mess it up or you don't know enough or maybe they'll ask you a Bible question. Which, by the way, let me take a caveat. Somebody asks you a Bible question that you don't know, that's wonderful. Let me tell you why. Because all you have to do is say, you know, I don't know. But if you'll let me go study, I'll come back and talk to you again later. It gives you a second opportunity. That's a little. Just put that back in your back in your brain somewhere, okay? My my point is simply this: is that oftentimes there are areas of our Christian life, no matter where it is, that, that are really affected by peer pressure. They're affected by fear of man. They're affected by fear of what other people will think or how they will treat you, or how you will be seen. Guess what? What this psalm is telling you is everybody's going to die. It's a level playing field. Can I tell you all a little story? I I, I was the quiet... In, in my school, 126 kids. Um, now... Tyler here, he's got four kids, and two of them graduated uh, in his school. But I had 126 kids in my grade. I was the... Let me describe to you. I I learned this early. I learned this early. If you were the rowdy kid in the not-so-popular group, you got in trouble all the time. But if you were the quiet kid in the popular group you still got to hang out with cool friends and you didn't get in trouble as much. That, that's, that, so that's where I was in school. And let me tell you, there were some guys in school that I looked up to that I thought, man, these guys are awesome. They're awesome. I want to be like them. I wanna go to want to go to prom and have four or five couples go and I want to be with those couples. On Saturday night, I want to be with those guys. Y'all know what I'm talking about? No? Dude, we had one stoplight in our town. Prom was a big deal, okay? (laughs) A lot of times I felt, personally as a teenager, that I just didn't cut it, that I wasn't popular. Enough. Can I brag on the Lord a little bit? I'm just a redneck from Kentucky that the Lord called to preach. Sent to seminary. Sent to school. Guys, I've got a master's degree. I tried to get a master's degree in astrology so Jenny could call me master of the universe. (laughs) But it didn't work. Um... I got a master's degree. I've got I've got credits towards a PhD. Now, you say I'm bragging on the Lord because if you guys understood how terrible of a student I am, you'd understand how big of a thing the Lord did. I got a beautiful wife and two children. I got a great church. I got a nice home. I got two cars. I got tractors. I mean, I got more tractors. You know what to do with. Got cows. Got a good life. Good life, Jr. One of those guys that I so aspired to be like when I was in high school. I saw the other day. (laughs) He saw the other day. He'd been married two or three times. He actually called me wanting counsel and advice from me. He's been married 3 times, he's on his fourth wife. He's bankrupted himself twice. He's been OD'd twice. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. A lot of times The fear of man and the fear of peer pressure keeps us from being what God wants us to be. But the reality is, is in the end, everybody's the same. And those people who you may fear, and who may be keeping you from being what God wants you to be because of that peer pressure in your life, may not be everything you think they're cracked up to be. Guess what? At the end, they're going to die anyhow. So how is that freeing to us? How is it freeing to us? It's freeing to us this way. You've got to learn to not care what anybody else thinks. And do what you want to for the Lord. I don't care how those people see me anymore. I really don't. I I don't care how other people in the community see me, as long as I'm following the Lord. Because here's what I know. I I don't have to rub elbows with millionaires and hope that they like me to get my self-worth. I I, I don't have to be one of the popular ones anymore, Miss Betty, and and try to find my self-worth from that. You know why? Because at the end of the day, they're not any better than I am. And as a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus thought my self-worth was so great that He sent Christ to die for me in my place. I matter to the Lord. I matter to God. I'm valuable to Him. And guess what? In the midst of that, there's freedom. When we stop looking at man, we stop looking at the temporal things and we start to look at eternity, what we find is that this little time that we spend on this terrestrial ball is just a drop in the bucket. So why not live it to the fullest? Not caring what other people think. That's really what the psalmist is trying to get away from here. And then listen to what he says. Boy, it gets better. I mean, it gets a whole lot happier. Here's what he basically says. Let me me give you a summary from verses 13 to 20. He says, everybody dies, and you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Is that a pretty good summary, Seth? And basically what he's saying is really that's all that matters. In this world, that's what matters. Is when you die, and you're all going to die there's heaven, and there's hell. Listen, let's read this. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet, after them, people approve their boasts. You ever know anybody like that? They have just this unbridled, foolish confidence. And then everybody around them boasts about how good they are. But then here's what it says. People like this, like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. What a label to have to wear. The upright, they shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Doesn't matter how much you make, doesn't matter who you are, without the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of your life, you'll go to hell if you don't know him. And here's basically the truth. It's saying that, that, that although there are people in this life who count themselves blessed because they've got money, they count themselves blessed because they have popularity. Guess what? Nothing. At the end of the life, it's nothing. Now listen, they all the old Baptist preachers used to say, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Well, I saw one on a picture on the internet the other day. So I've seen one. But I will tell you this. There's never been a man who took his wealth, his popularity, his fame with him. Because at the end of the day, he's going to kneel and say, Lord, you're my Lord, and I deserve hell because I don't know Christ. That's the big picture. But for the man who knows Jesus, well and good, my faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. In an eternity of bliss. Here's what I'm wanting you to get tonight. Don't live your life based on the fear of things that are temporal. Man, circumstances, money, popularity. Live your life based on the fact of what's going to happen to you if you're a believer at the end of the road. Do you know why I don't have any fear of what people think about me? Because I know what God thinks about me. And I know what He's called me to do. Guess what? If you'll start to learn to live that way, viewing your life in light of eternity, God will start to bolster your confidence. God will start to work in your heart in such a way that you will see yourself starting to grow into maturity in Christ. Remember, this is a battle for your mind and your worldview. This is a battle for how you think I want to say it again because they say that you have to say something seven times before people remember it, right? And I said it about four times this morning in my sermon, so that means y'all actually heard it twice. Amen. <coughs> Becoming spiritually mature is not, let me repeat, is not about doing things better for Jesus. It's not about putting on more spiritual airs. It's not about giving yourself a longer checklist of do's and don'ts. Becoming spiritually mature in Christ is renewing your mind so that when you think about things, you think about them from a godly worldview, a biblical worldview, and as you start to think, so your life will start to produce things i said it this morning i'll say it again tonight people often tell me preacher you can't preach like that because if you tell people that 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 they can't cuss or they can't smoke or they can't do this or they can't do that then they're just going to run out and do it because you've just given them a license to sin not if they've got jesus and 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 not if their minds are being renewed by him You know, I have people come to me all the time and they say, "Brother Carlton, I can't quit smoking." or "Brother Carlton, I can't quit looking at things I shouldn't look at on the internet." Or, "Brother Carlton, I can't do this." And here's my first response always. It's not, "Well, do you have do you, do you have accountability partners, which I think are important, or do you have this in place in your life? It's how much are you loving on Jesus?" You get full of God. You get full of the Holy Spirit through being in his word, you get your mind renewed by the Lord Jesus and those things will take care of themselves. They will. You know why? They can't help it. They can't help it. They will take care of themselves. Amen. Well, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Oh God, you are so good. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. Lord, this psalm says a universal message to all people. You're going to die, and you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to hell. Lord, that is such a simple message. But God, it brings back to light that we ought to be looking at this world through eternal eyes, not temporal eyes. Lord, help us. Jesus, help us. your Son's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like to know more about our relationship with Jesus or more about our church at Woodlawn, please contact us by email at info at Please join us again next week for another sermon from First Baptist of Woodlawn.